Cradleine Network. I am the Lord, and this is the 29th episode of Big Meg One. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Eli, and this is the podcast where two Americans patrol their way through the Judge Dredd magazine. This episode, we're covering the magazine for March and April 1993. That's volume two, issues 23 to 26. This episode, Anderson finds Jesus, Dredd fights Mechanismo, Sleaze and Ryder find America, Al's baby flies to an end, and the heavy metal Dread is just plain filthy. <laughs> and if you don't read along with us, from the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread, the Complete Case Files 18, Judge Anderson, the Sci Files 2, The Complete Owl's Baby, and the Judge Dread Magazine issue 290. All righty. How you doing, Eli? I'm doing great. Yeah. And I love your nice. descriptions. I feel like I'm appreciating them more and more the more we do this. <laughs> Appreciate it. You know, just try to. Usually, I try to you know describe one and then see if I can't find some sort of alliterative <laughs> or uh, you know similarly worded thing to go by. You know, I'm a craftsman, Eli. Everybody knows that. Shows, shows. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of mediocre craftsmanship, on that topic, <laughs> let's go to story one, Judge Dread. And got one dread story this time. Uh, continuing for the last episode, it's Mechanismo Returns. Script about P- John Wagner, art about Peter Doherty, letting her about any park house. So we see a mysterious first-person view going through a building as that Night Watchman crew we last ep- um, we saw last episode plays three-dimensional checkers in the break room. <laughs> Suddenly, they're caught on infrared scan, and the form of a robo-judge enters the room and prepares to judge the watchman for betting bolts on the checkers, because gambling's illegal! Mm. Suddenly, another judge enters the room and orders the Mechanismo number 5 to stand down and return to the maintenance bays. But you'll remember, Eli, last episode, the robot overheard that watchman say that the robo-judges were all going to be scrapped. And so he's got like a, um, you know, self-preservation instinct. He doesn't want to be taken apart, you know? Um, So that makes him say no, and thus he blows the judge away. The robot watchman scolds the robo-judge, like, hey, don't you kill humans, that's not cool, and just gets smashed, face smushed across the room for it. <laughs> the, the watchman begs for mercy and seems to get it um, momentarily until number five realizes that this guy will probably call the judges after he leaves and prepares to stun him. But then the watchman's like, no, I won't tell nobody nothing. And that turns up to, that reads out a lie on the judge on the robo judge's lie detector, and so it's execution time. <laughs> like, yeah. like you almost had it. <laughs> <laughs> the watchman is blown away as Mechanismo heads into the city, and that judge that got shot a bunch of times is apparently still alive and uses his dying strength to call control to warn them. Number five opens fire on some car thieves as the judge reports in. Number five is alive. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a Short Circuit that that movie, Eli? I, I haven't. What's that one about? It was. It, it's in like the mid '80s, I want to say, and it's about a robot 
um, that it's like a war robot, but then it develops a personality Ooh. and like has wacky adventures. And Aww, how sweet. in the first movie, that robot is also called number five. Oh, wow. And so that's sort of a tag. So they're sort of taking a tagline from that and using it here. That's cool. And then there was a sequel where um, he like developed a name for himself and so he became like johnny five or something oh, like that that I was in have, short circuit too yeah i do know that reference when i was uh, researching sci-fi stuff as i often do i kept seeing something mm-hmm. for johnny five and i didn't know what they were talking about but yeah, oh, yeah, yeah that's the well name liked. of uh of this character yeah it's it's pretty you know i remember it being a decent movie i mean i think i the, i saw it went in the theater when i was seven so who's mm-hmm. to say what mm-hmm. it is now I know um, it does feature a dude who is not an Indian dude playing an Indian dude, which doesn't sound good. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's sort of more 80s things. You know, it was acceptable yeah. in the 80s, but right, less, exactly. you know, as time goes by, not as good here. But this still feels like, you know, that movie was in, was in the first one was in 86 and the second one was in 88. So this is very mm-hmm. much a sort of reference to that. That's you know, cool. Nice. Someone feeling that that terminology. Oh, that's some good info. I like that. Yeah, just a little bit of background stuff. You know how it goes. <laughs> so Mechanismo crushes a man under a car, like sort of like, you know, so a, a guy looking like underneath a car looking at the engine or something. He crushes the car on top of him. And then he just calls into control to uh, report these crimes like he's a normal judge. Control plays along with him and gets his exact location as number five just starts blowing up cars for parking violations and a bunch of judges, dread included, is on their way are on their way. The robot judge blows a dude's knees off for jaywalking, kills some robbers in face masks, mostly because they might be aliens. Um Judge Bernaw arrives on the scene, but number five uh, picks him up on his sensors ahead of time and opens fire, sending the, cr- the judge crashing in a cloud of blood. Oh, man, this guy's tough to take down. He kills another one of the robbers as Judge Stitch, who was the head of the Mechanisma program, arrives at the robot maintenance bay. More judges appear on the scene, and number five shoots rockets out of his arms to keep them away. He will not be stopped. <laughs> a lot of RoboCop stuff going on. A lot of Absolutely. compartments with weapons in them that open up that He's, should, probably shouldn't be there. I mean, you know, listen, like, honestly, because like because RoboCop had compartments, I feel like that opened up and had, you know, a gun that he'd then use, whereas these are actual weapon systems. So it's almost more like Inspector Gadget to me, mm. if you ask me. I, I concede. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> but I think you're also right that, you know, they're very much... There's a little bit of an aspect of like little kids playing fight here where like, <laughs> right. you know, I got these judges and mechanismos sort of responding with, no, I got rocket arms and stuff yeah. like that. That kind of thing. Right. <laughs> um, high X rounds bounce right off the robot. They like karam off of uh, parts of his hide. And Dread runs from the robot's fire as he um takes down or as he reports that three other judges have been taken out and then it seems like number five like shoots a laser beam this was less clear to me and but you're right another weapon sort of pulled out of nowhere <laughs> like we see this laser coming out of number five and it kind of chasing after dread with this like you know like line of fire coming out of the ground or something 
and Dredd dodges behind a car, and it gets hit by the laser, and then so it explodes, and Dredd gets engulfed in a big fireball. Oh no! Dredd's burning like a torch, but manages to get to a nearby store, jump through the plate glass window, and then douse the flames that he's on with the bit with like a big like you know store wide sail banner. Back at the control center, Stitch orders number five to stand down, but the robot messages back like, stick your order, I have a job to do. Oh, he's a badass, you know. <laughs> um, and basically, it's just sort of, it's unwilling to process the, logic para- the logical paradox of like, I have to enforce the law. Killing judges is against the law. Like that kind of... Like, mm. a, a lesser robot would be destroyed by that paradox, but Mechanismo <laughs> just sort of doesn't really think about it, basically, right. as he yeah. takes down several more judges. It also seems like he's like, um, I am the law. These judges are impeding the law. No one is above the law. So he's taking mm. his law as the um, as the hierarchy of laws. Like, yeah, what I yeah, want yeah. to do is right. Everyone who's trying to stop me is clearly disobeying the law. I thought that was really interesting. That's, yeah, that's super. Yeah, definitely. He's got that moral relativism or whatever. <laughs> Another judge manages to hit uh, Mechanismo with a couple of high X rounds, but it's still not enough. Number five stands by an overturned car, and this is a mistake as a rising judge, Dredd, jumps out and shoots the vehicle's fuel tank, which explodes and takes the robot with it. But even that's not enough to take him down. Desperate to escape, number five punches through a nearby wall and disappears into the old pump house. Dredd leads a trio trio of judges into the dark depths of the building where the machine uses its infrared vision to its advantage, sniping off one of the judges. And it goes to escape further into the sewers, but Dredd sees it and shoots. And number five has now lost its left arm and right leg for battle damage. Incapacitated number five fires a gas bomb that takes out another judge, but Dreadman just gets his like his helmet respirator down in time and continues after the robo judge. Um, as Stitch at headquarters starts to lose track of it, like it had like radar on it before or something, but now it's go it goes deeper into the tunnels. It can't track it as much. Using a pipe as a cane, number five's computer urges it to return to base, but of course it can't. It passes by a grate and once again gets picked up on radio and Stitch orders it to reactivate. But instead, it uses a high X round to cave in the tunnel behind it um, on the rubble landing on top of Dread. And then it seems to grab a tool from its utility belt remove its helmet and like do some wiring on its head or something like that it's not it's not clear but it's clearly doing something what is is less obvious later we see a crew of judges dig dread out of the rubble as the judge as the judges decide not to go after the robot directly and so they start using drones to try to find it inside the tunnels but the sewer tunnels go on a billion miles through all of mega city one so they aren't going to find it soon it seems like until then, this whole fiasco is making the Mechanismo project a pretty hard sell. We see the story being told in the Mega City Times as Dredd gets out of the med bay. Another judge says number five is probably dead at this point, but Dredd isn't so sure as we see the ghostly robot make its way into the Mega City, sorry, into the Undercity below Mega City One. And that's the end of Mechanismo for now, Eli. But you can't keep a good robot down, and Mechanismo will return this fall. Yeah, I really like this story. 
and I think it's mostly due to its, its uh, cinematic nature. I said everything was kind of mm-hmm. told. I could see this as a film. Uh, and I really started feeling for Mechanismo around the end. You know, he's just trying to do hmm. his programming, and everyone keeps trying to <laughs> not let him murder everyone. And, yeah. You know, he's just trying to do his How, job. Where do we get off with right. the not being, not wanting to be murdered? Ridiculous. Right. I also think there was some guy who was uh, like, uh, whoever decided to make this one based on Dredd's brain should get their head checked. Like, <laughs> it, made, yeah. it made a lot more sense to me. Like, yeah, this is, yeah, if Judge Dredd was a robot, in a cruel, unforgiving world that doesn't want to be murdered, I could see him mm-hmm. being in a very similar situation. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting just to see the judges come against a foe that they can't really handle, I guess, mm-hmm. that yeah. is sort of, is almost too tough for them, basically, and they're sort of out, outclassed by his abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it almost felt to me like... Um, uh, it has that badassery that Judge Dredd has, but mm-hmm. it's against all the other judges. So it's like uh, I see Judge Dredd d- dealing with it about as well as Mechanismo is. Um, right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what they mean. That sort of is the point of it having, you know, being based on his personality. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like if a super powered Judge Dredd went rogue, basically, mm-hmm. like a Dredd that sort of also can't just be shot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's fun. I mean, I'm super excited to see how it concludes. I'm, I was hoping this would be just a fixture character, uh, similar to how Judge Death kind of kept coming around. Yeah, I'm I mean, always... I think it kind, I, I think it kind of is, honestly. I mean, because we've seen him come back twice now, and he'll be back again in the fall. So it is sort of a rare bad guy that be, joins Dredd's Rogues Gallery, mm-hmm. which is a little bit unusual, just just because you know usually kills people, you right. know, as and and the cubes are hard to break out of, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. I was also um. I'm particularly interested in the duality of this judge and Judge Dredd. Uh, I'm Hmm. starting to understand what he meant by, like, you need a human. There's a human element to it. You got to be. And I'm wondering, is Judge saying that uh, it's because they're situational things? Like, there needs needs to be a bit of, like, okay, situationally, you should be guilty, but I'm not going to go that way. So I'm, like, I'm questioning. Maybe. But, like... I mean, this this mechanismo has clearly gone overboard with the murder and violence and it's part of its like broken programming and stuff like that, you know. But like Dredd would certainly, you know, I don't think he'd blow a jaywalker's kneecaps off, but he'd certainly get like give a jaywalker a couple months in the cubes or something like that. You know, you got to we know that there is. Yeah, like (laughs) it's not like, you know. It's not like Dredd isn't out, <clears throat> out here enforcing crimes jerkily. You know, that's right. important to keep in mind. I'm, I'm curious if uh, in, Ju- in Dredd's mind, if he's being a nice guy, if he's like, you know what, I'm, uh, I'm Maybe. dealing take it easy on you, but it's for everyone's bad, best interest. You know, I'm mm-hmm. just, you know, the guardian. Uh, I think a big thing is just that Dredd just hates robots generally. Right, and so I think a lot, of his, a lot of that. his talk about... Um, Robots not being trusted with with discerning the law might be coming more from a place of hating robots than mm. any sort of actual <laughs> uh, belief in jurors' prudence or something like that. I just want okay. to m- make sure that's out there, you know. <laughs> that's fair. fair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, but hey, speaking of murderous robots, Eli. Oh, yeah. Let's continue on with story two, Sleezen Rider. 
Script robot Garth Ennis, art robot Nick Percival, lettering robot Mary Green. So last time we saw these cool cats, Sleaze and Ryder, they were drowning in a mutant puke stadium called the Chunder Bowl. <laughs> and meanwhile, this robot Eagle and robot Salmon, symbols of America, hatched. Or they broke out a trio of former presidential brains of Nixon, JFK, and Reagan and put them into robots and then got a big armored platform. And now they're blasting through that same mountain town, mutant township that Sleaze and Ryder are in, killing folks like crazy and in their uh, wanton destruction, accidentally freeing Sleaze and Ryder from that puke. They flush the Chunder Bowl as mutants are either slaughtered or escape into the hills on their motorbike. It's a bloody scene as the two robots wonder if these presidents are all they're cracked up to be as they're just increasingly just sort of spouting catchphrases and being very insane. <laughs> anyway, their plan is to head to a nearby missile base where 20 nukes wait in silos for them to shoot them at the megacities and destroy them. The boys overhear this plan. Sleaze wonder, wonders what they'll do. And it's easy, says Ryder. They'll wash, because they're all covered in puke, and that's no fun. <laughs> Smarting from that massacre, Jit Kicker and the inbred kids prepare an ambush for the robot Americans, dropping an avalanche on them as Ryder looks on with his wide-ass scanner shades that go like, you know, a foot in each direction past his head. But the Mega Doom tank fires back and kills more of these mutants. He's like, Jit Kicker and his guys are just con like, anytime something happens, at least one of them dies, sort of, you know, with le various levels of necessariness, I guess right. is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, Ryder then gets on his bike and jumps over the death roller, lands in its cockpit, and turns off all its weapons so it's not shooting anymore. Meanwhile, the bird prepare the bird robot prepares a secret weapon, the fourth presidential braid that he's got uh, you know, in his back pocket, basically. And he, the robot fish, and the rest of the presidential brains escape in a rocket pod, as you do. And things things seem okay as Sleed and Riders. Sleaze and Ryder can now be friends with these mutant dudes. Yeah. Cool guys. Yeah. Yeah, they seem okay. Like very intense, but I guess you would be if you were a mutant. Mm. But I guess the escape pod flew into the missile base. So now the crew has to go after the robots and brains. Luckily, this big mutant sputum manages to find an access hatch into the base by falling to the ground into it and getting impaled on his own bike in the process. With uh, Project Megadoom, the presidential brains are again getting extremely weird as the robots argue about using that mysterious fourth brains. Or a fourth brain that they've got. The Sleaze and Ryder and the mutants have broken to the have broken through to the missiles and they make their way to the control room and like well, how do you know where it is? And there's a giant sentence, it's control room, it's a joke. Uh <laughs> the robots go to escape and wonder who these bikers are in the first place, and that makes Sleaze angry. So he introduces himself like smashing up the presidential robots. We're Sleaze and Ryder, man. The Robots find something terrifying as they head to a nearby robo-surgery as Ryder once more blows JFK away. Oh, man. <laughs> Suddenly, the robots are sad because they had to put the fourth presidential brain in that 
and then that appears. It's the brain of President Arnie with a robo toilet and like in a robot toilet with a pair of Uzis. Oh no. <laughs> He's Bach. And the cyber toilet has Armitage written on the front of it, which I assume is just good natured ribbing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, oh geez, this is a bad scene, Eli. Um, President Arnie is blowing away mutants with Uzis and Sleed and Ryder. Sleed and Ryder have to run. Suddenly, though, when they run, they confront the or they meet the robot eagle and fish. And when they don't respond with how to turn off the robot bog, which is the ro- the cyber toilet that Arnold's in, they kill that fish. Oh, no, no you killed him. Like, yeah, man. Come on. Whatever. We're cool biker dudes. <laughs> Mutants are getting massacred. They're not pleased with Sleaze and Ryder as the boys use the base's laser defense system to accidentally kill all those mutants, I guess. Right. Um, <laughs> until friends. one dude. Yeah, what? Oh, no, they're friends. They just made those. Sad, buddy. You know, you gotta, you, these, you know, fast friends leave as soon as they arrive, you know? Mm. All right, easy come, easy go. Exactly. <laughs> Suddenly, but then, um, like one of the one of these big mutants with a bunch of extra arms manages to like to smash the action star robo president cyborg thing whatever his Uzis are no good he's taken out um and also at this same point it looks like the nukes might launch but Sleaze uses the lasers the defense lasers to like he shoots him at the missiles I guess and the missiles then launch straight up and the mutant and with the mutant and the robot bog aboard but Sleaze shot out the missiles guidance system so they sort of fly straight up and like both the mutant and Arnie explode in when they hit space and all right. that kind of stuff they decompress right that's what I'm thinking yeah, and it seems like the day is saved. The eagle gets destroyed mostly off camera, and the lads head off into the sunset, cruising through the cursed earth once more. The end of Sleaze and Ryder, and that's it. We won't see him again. <laughs> yeah, I like the wackiness, but I do. I never felt a sense of dread or danger for Sleaze and Ryder because they just kept throwing mm-hmm. mutant death in it. You know, they're just like, mm-hmm. we don't care about mutants, kill them all. So every time a mutant would show up. I'd be like, oh, maybe this guy's cool enough to make it. And they're like, no, we don't mm-hmm. care about mutants in this comic. Kill them. We'll find ways to kill the mutants. Uh, yeah. Uh, and also a little concerning that they just uh, left a bunch of nukes go off into space. Uh, they didn't like, out there, disarm you know. them or anything. They were just like, eh, wait, they're not going to come back here. So we're fine. Uh, very American I mean, comic. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's it. You know, I don't know. They're they're as dangerous in space as they were just lying around in a in a base. I guess. You yeah, know. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to find commentary or like um, uh, political elements in Sleaze and Rider, which I don't think is a good place to get it. Really. Yeah, that's looking that's looking too deep into a shallow pond. I think. <laughs> right. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of this one, I gotta say, Eli. Um, I don't know. Like, I didn't think it was that funny. I didn't like the art that much. I didn't like, like you know, seems sort of cartoonishly violent, which right. I guess I'm mostly in favor of, but also sometimes get tired of, I guess. Right. Yeah, um, I just thought they were so rude to the mutants. Just respect yeah. the mutants. 
Especially when you're out in the cursed earth. I mean, it's mostly mutants. Like, yeah. you know, you're sort of coming into their territory and being a jerk to them. That doesn't seem very nice. I do wish one of them would have died. I think Sleaze or Ryder dying would have made me feel better. And then they have to like, you know what? Maybe back in the city was all right. You know, some sort of like character development. They're just like, we're badasses. We're on bikes. Yeah. And then they just still that this same isn't stuff. A- yeah, this isn't a character development kind of situation, I gotta, yeah. I, I gotta think. Yeah. I, I do think it beats Soul Sisters by a slim margin, though, you know, but uh, mm. very slim. I mean, it's 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 tighter than Soul Sisters, I'll certainly say that. <laughs> right. Like, because Soul Sisters just with its, like, having its multiple plot lines and, and bad guys and stuff was also very overstuffed, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a little a, a little smaller than that, but also there's still a lot, just a lot. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Very true. Oh man! All right. But hey, speaking of of no, sorry, excuse me. Yes, yeah, well, you know, I guess uh, Sleaze and Ryder featured a lot of returns of um, like past presidents and stuff like that. And speaking of second comings, let's talk about (laughs) story three, Anderson's side of vision. Script about Alan Grant, art about Arthur Ranson, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. All right. So last time on Judge Anderson, we saw the judges prepare to take to take out preacher John Baptiste or to take him in for questioning, I guess. This time they actually go and call him out. But in a way that does not seem very friendly, so his minions appear, prepare to sneak him out the back as a bunch of, you know, sort of church members with rifles come out the front and start shooting. Right. It seems a clear sacrifice. I don't think they were planning on making it out. No, no. This is very much a sacrificial diversion, but also a like, hey, like, I understand that you personally are talking a lot about peace and nonviolence, but this opening move when you're challenged does not seem like everybody <laughs> on your team is also agreeing with that, um, with that doctrine. Right. You know what I'm trying to say? Right. The judges fire back as in the rear of the hotel. Baptiste hears the shooting and then refuses to run away. Like he doesn't want violence done in his name. And that's fine because a sneaky Judge Anderson has the drop on him. Um, Under the hot lights of interrogation, Judge Goon threatens Baptiste and just kind of gets the standard religious stuff back, basically. Anderson mind melds with him, finding his mind calm and at peace, and then sees the true faith of Jean Baptiste in a image of the of the crucifixion of like you know the Easter story basically. Mm. Through John, Anderson feels the love of Jesus echoing through, and she begins to weep until Goon like shakes her awake and slaps Baptiste. Baptiste is like, "Hey, like you know, he's hypnotizing you. Be careful." <laughs> and then after that, basically goes too far in his speech because he says she's a cruddy judge because she's a sigh and a woman. Right. And- <laughs> This again, he crossed the line, and thus Anderson has no choice but to. Uh, she takes a second to start to rebut his points verbally, but then just punches him right in the face. Right, which is great. I said, love this artist. I saved that one of uh, the angel. I also saved this uh, Anderson punching that guy in the face. It felt uh, definitely perfect. Yeah, no, there's some fun stuff in here for sure. 
<laughs> so we finish up with um, an after-action report by the head of side division, Judge Schenker. Apparently, a lot of this situation was a test of Anderson to see how she'd react under pressure. And she has failed. But okay. it's hard not to respect the beating that she gave to Judge Goon. Right. Yeah, definitely some, some humor in that report. Definitely yeah. was entertained by that beatdown. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, after the fight, Anderson releases Baptiste and he tries to convert her to his brand of love-heavy Christianity, but she can't take his offer. Later, Anderson is confined to quarters because of the beating, and on the news, it's revealed that the Christians were actually a nuclear weapon armed terrorist group, and the religion has now been banned. They show a fake Baptiste doing Charles Manson faces and like saying that he was making up the religion to hide his evil intentions. And that, and then we learn that he killed himself in a cell. And Anderson basically says that all this stuff is a lie and a setup. And they just killed Baptiste because they didn't want his religion um, uniting the underclass of the city in peace and love and stuff like that. I'm questionable about this. Like, certainly the Justice Department is evil. And, like, I don't really buy Baptiste just going on TV and being like, yes, I am evil. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it, it felt obviously a, a plant. Like, yeah. she even said, like, that's not him. That's not even the guy. Right. Yes, yeah, an impersonator or something right. like that. But, you know, I also could see maybe, you know, maybe somebody in this group had a nuke, like just lying around mm-hmm. just in case. Also, like those, right. these are things that are possible. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so um, Schenker's report continues. Anderson is a good judge, but in a volatile personality state. She needs a change of scenery and so is tapped to be the operative for a job on Mars. We see her getting a spaceship. And this story will be continued in the story Childhood's End, which we'll see next episode. She's going to Mars. Yeah. Have we seen any stories on Mars yet? No, I don't think so. We've seen, we've been to the moon, like very Mm. early in 2000 AD, Judge Dredd, like was in an exchange program and was marshal on the moon for a little Mm. while. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but even that was still in the, in the 70s. It's been a while since we've had judges doing anything on other planets, I think. Nice. So That's exciting. Yeah, excited to see, see what this. Mars is like. Definitely. Um, Red, I'd imagine. Right. Judge, that's what I hope. Right. right. Uh, yeah, but exactly. I, I am loving the Anderson stories. They always have a philosophical or psychological element to it. And uh, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, – is it development? Because Anderson's always kind of been the – likes humanity, wants everyone to get along, doesn't think that like – uh, it's questioning the system, so this just seems more of yeah. that. But I, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't think it's new, but I do think it's an in, it's an interesting direction to go to, and one that's different from what we're normally seeing, you know, in dread stories. Basically, mm-hmm. like you know, dread is so pro justice department and the law and stuff that just having Anderson here, even as a little bit of a counterbalance, is interesting. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I also that was. Uh, I thought it was interesting them taking the uh, angle of Christianity. I thought was cool for a couple reasons. I thought it was interesting that mm-hmm. they brought that up because everyone's always saying "grud" and like the same way people use "god" yes. or whatever. So I was glad that they were like, "No, it's it's there. It's it's just over there in the corner. No one really talks about it. It's fine, and it's outlawed now." 
Um, yeah, I thought that was really interesting too. I guess that like there is uh, like that because they also talked about like when they were banning it, like they really talked about Christianity as like something that seemed kind of new, I mm-hmm. guess, or like <laughs> right. something that wasn't part of like their regular day to day or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting as well, just of like they've somehow like hidden that history or mm-hmm. something like that. Right. Like they've made it so that people just the average mega citizen just really isn't aware of like mm-hmm. there being a thing of like Christianity being a thing that exists right. and mm-hmm. like yeah. has they, history on it. Yeah. And they showed evidence of it existing in the undercity, like the under the uh, mm-hmm. mega city. So yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah like the old cathedral from yeah. New York and stuff like exactly. that. Um, but I also thought it was interesting because this artist particularly the art style is very remnant of like um, traditional Christian paintings or art. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that uh, when they did the depiction of Jesus. I was like, oh, well, that's really well done. Like I could see yeah. that being in a church. Like someone might actually put that up. Um, but yeah, that was cool. Yeah, you could see Ranson just doing like some yeah some religious stuff on on the side or something right. like exactly. that. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, really cool. <laughs> totally. Yeah, but so we'll see this story continue uh, next time. And speaking of just how these issues move forward, let's take a quick break from stories with covers, editorials, and dreadlines. So just going over is just some of the, the non-comic stuff from these comics. Uh, issue 23, Driven to Tears, Arthur Ranson draws Judge Anderson having a crisis of confidence. You know, she's sort of crying on the cover here. The editorial reintroduces writer John Smith to Heavy Metal Dread. Gives um, props to Arthur Ranson and mentions a fleet of new graphic novels coming out, including a signing of Swimming in Blood at a comic book shop in Swansea. Dreadlines has mostly complimentary letters and a very extensive suggestion for an event crossover between 2080 and the magazine. We're different um, with different um publications telling different parts of the same story i'm for it it could be interesting um just sort of you know splitting a story into different sections and then spreading them across um the the, the publications the issue ends with an ad for the uk comic of the batman animated series a show which i've got a lot of time for from my youth for sure Issue 24, Bang Bang You're Dead, Carlos Escara draws Al's baby, threatening Mutt McCluskey, bullets for bedtime. The editorial announces the end of Al's baby and Anderson, and the returns from the 1992 reader poll coming soon. Um, and the credit text, this one says, it's killing time. Letters um, like that Recyc Man story from the previous episode, compliment Cal Hab Justice and enjoy humor in the comic. Another compares Armitage with the British TV show Inspector Morse. And a young reader would, or sorry, and, and a young would be comics creator wants contact information for several top talents. Like, yeah, could, I'm thinking about making a comic. Could you give me Simon Bisley's number so I could hire him or something? Um, sadly, though, the comic doesn't give out that information or take unsolicited requests for things. The issue ends with ads for 2000 AD Progs 828 to 830, which we'll talk about next week on Space Spinner and the gifts that come with those issues. Issue 25, Judge Dredd is burning for justice in this incendiary cover by Peter Doherty. He's literally on fire in this one, Eli. Oh, man. (laughs) The editorial mentions the new Hershey story and plugs the 92 survey results. 
and the upcoming issue relaunch in uh, in 27. We'll be starting all new stories then. Mid-issue, there's a breakdown of the 1992 magazine reader story. I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, we learn that the average reader age is 20. Most of the readership's male. And uh, Judgment Day, Devlin Wad, Mechanismo were the top thrills of 92. Mm-hmm. While Soul Sisters, Cal Have Justice, and Straight Jacket Fits were the bottom stories. Okay, so we're right on the mark, pretty much. I definitely feel like, yeah, this sort of crosses over with our findings as well. <laughs> um, Dread's the favorite character with 86% of the vote, and people want more Anderson, which they're going to get. Mm. Um and then I thought it was interesting, too, they sort of have a listing for a sort of favorite all-time story. And while last year America was in second place, this year it's moved into the uh, top spot. And they just needed time that, to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I guess this sort of, you know, they needed some time for it to percolate or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> and then that creative team of John Wagner and Colin McNeil are, voted, are both voted uh, top writer and top artist, respectively. And then um, also in this issue, there's an in-depth look at the making of the Swimming in Blood story, um, showing some of Sean Phillips' initial sketches for the comic that would then sort of be expanded to oh, yeah. become the uh, the final product. I want more of that. I found myself just staring at those pages, kind of seeing the process. I find that stuff really mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting to see it sort of as these rough sketches and then sort of see the final product for sure. Mm-hmm. Issue 26, mad about the boy. Sean Phillips gives us the fated confrontation between Judge Dredd and Devlin Waugh. The editorial also talks about this, makes a big deal about the all-new stories we'll see starting next episode. Mid-issue, there's a break. There's more breakdowns of, the, of a Devlin Waugh and a very nice picture of the cover of the new graphic novel collection. Letters compliment the recent magazines and ask about maybe having some non-continuity stories like uh, Elseworlds or, DC, or uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, which DC does. And that's actually something that's being done in the modern magazine with the uh, Megalopolis story, which is a sort of a dread story in a slightly um, or in an alternate universe kind of thing. And, um, a writer's also bummed that editor Dave Bishop won't be writing any more stories, but he's sort of basically said, hey, I'm not going to write. I'm not going to be creating for the magazine if I'm editing for it, which I think is a good policy. <laughs> another, letter's apo- another letter apologizes for being doom and gloom, but isn't a fan of the rampant graphic violence we've been seeing recently in the magazine. And I can see where he's coming from, you know? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And hey, speaking of rampant graphic violence, you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go to story four, Heavy Metal Dread. Just a, just a lot of people getting killed in this one, for yeah. sure. Yeah, but they're not mutants, so you're supposed to feel worse, I guess. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell. <laughs> uh, script robot is John Smith and David Bishop is Allison Potter. Art robot John Hinklinton and Keith Page, letting robot Tom Frame. So uh, while previous entries in this story were originally printed in Rock Power magazine, these ones are all new for the magazine, Eli, just FYI. There's been a murder at the Peter Greenway block, who is a, uh, a Welsh film director. The victim was apparently eaten to death by a bunch of snails, which now cover the apartment. Yikes, snail to death. Mm, it's a slow way to go. Serious. Oh, I see. I see how it goes. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, Dread also makes jokes. Listen, whatever. Um, there's a lot going on. Over the next week, similar murders take place. A body covered in ants, another in snakes, a third in slugs. Dread theorizes it's a revenge killing because all the victims work in the movies and specifically on the uh, set of the film Drag Strip Zombies from Daytona High where there was an accident and the set burned down and one person was never found in the wreckage of Mort Rifkind. His job was as Bug Wrangler, the guy that gets all the bugs, snakes, and creepy crawlies for horror movies, basically. It is a real job, just for the record. Like, sort of sourcing all of the all the bugs for horror movies and stuff. And indeed, we see Mort burned and disfigured from the fire, plotting revenge on the people on the film. There's one left, and Dredd's found that guy too. Wes Mondo, special effects coordinator. He's at the Milton Subotowski block, who was the writer of numerous schlocky UK horror movies. And Dread heads out to get him. We see Wiz, Wes get in a cab. It's being driven by Mort. And he's wearing a billion bees as a beard. He's got a bee beard. Oh, no. <laughs> he sicks the bees on Wes as Dread arrives on the scene. Mort revels in his vengeance as um, Wes is stung to death. And Dredd just shoots the car with a high X with a high X round, and he's not walking away from it this time. As the car blow goes up in flames, you could say he really took the sting out of that guy's tail, Eli. Yeah, very well done. I do feel like he was a little too quick to just blow up the car with the guy in it. I guess mm. did, did he have confirmation that the victim was dead? I feel like he was just very like. I F think all so. Boom. Yeah, that's what it seems like. He's just sort of like, all right, that guy's probably dead. And it's right. too late to save him. So let's right. just blow this dude up. Whatever. I think Dred's really afraid of bees, and he didn't want to admit it. So he was like, certainly possible. Let's just get rid of all that. No need to worry about that anymore. Uh, I could see it. Yeah. Also, uh, the this artist I realize um, has things with necks. This one. He didn't mm. just make necks just completely weird, but he did have very focus on like Adam's apples, like they were gigantic yes. things in people's necks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, th- I think Hinklinton is a really like, he'll sort of just find pieces of musculature or like parts of the human body and stuff and just really iterate on them and mm. again, you know, make them right. real gross, really, right. r- real disturbing and stuff. Yeah. I and mean, I still notice uh, Dredd still has that lip flap. Like, it looks like his, he, like mm-hmm. he did have a mouth. They cut a, a frown in it, and then he just has a flap here on the bottom. Right. <laughs> He's got a, kind of a Muppet look almost. Right, yeah. But disturbing, <laughs> right. Oh, yes. <laughs> Next, we got... Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, that was it. Okay. Next, bring me the head of Blakelock Steiner, says Billy Ray Butlins, leader of the Fat Freedom Coalition and one of Mega City One's most wanted men. He's the head of this outlawed fatty activist groups. And we see a bunch of corpulent complainers protesting the release of a new book by that Blakelock Steiner guy. It's called Critical Mass. Used to be a fatty himself until he got an eating disorder. And now he's slandering the fatties left, right and center. Oh, geez. We see Steiner's motorcade nearing the area and Dredd's on crowd control when suddenly he spots a bunch of fatties up on a balcony on the balcony of the Tippy Hedred block preparing to jump off and land on Steiner's car. 
they and like smush it is the hope but instead they do so in an explosion of gore and like just multiple spines flying out of the back of each of them and stuff like that um it's real gross but steiner escapes unharmed right i also don't think people have extra spines like uh well whatever you wouldn't think so but each one of these guys has like three coming out of their back you know just a just a a daisy chain of spines in there or something (laughs) Steiner mocks their cause. So Butlin says they need to bring in professional help, namely Madam Fifi's born-again blitzers. Dredd says to another judge that they'll take these fatties down soon as one of the fatties' reps meets with a pale-faced weirdo who tells them where they can meet Madam Fifi. She just got out of jail. But when they do so... Oh, geez, that's not Madam Fifi. That's Dredd. Inside a zip-up lady suit. <laughs> they decide to take the hard way when Dredd arrests them. And so Dredd just guns them all down and ends the day sitting on top of a massive pile of blood yeah. and dead fat dudes and stuff. Right. He's just like, ah, what ah, fucking hell. What a day. <laughs> right. He's got a, a nipple on his shoulder pad. Yeah, it's a... Uh... <laughs> Pretty gross. Gross, gross ending. Yeah. Yeah, not great. <laughs> Bad times, indeed. <laughs> Finally, Dredd's on the tail of some bank robbers, and the trail has led him to the Heartbreak Hotel, a giant heart-shaped building. A report comes in. The robbers were all described as dressed as Elvis Presley, but this hotel is hosting a huge Elvis impersonator convention. Oh, no. <laughs> John Hangleton's clearly having fun drawing a bunch of these different weird and wild Elvises, but Dredd isn't into it. So instead, he calls in Side Judge Karen, who you might recall was part of the Reptar story, I guess. And with Anderson on her way um, to Mars, we're going to see sort of some second, some like, you know, non-Anderson side judges come into our story, both stories, both here in the magazine and over in 2000 AD as well. Anyway, Karen scans the hotel and as we see the perps getting nervous about this situation, because it seems like they lock down the hotel and say like they're looking for criminals and the Elvises don't like people using their subculture to hide from criminal investigation and giving them a bad name. Plus, they can spot inauthentic Elvis impersonators like a sore thumb. Soon violence breaks out as this angry mob turns into a lynch mob. Two of the perps are killed right away. The third one runs but is cornered on a balcony as Dredd starts cracking heads. Soon the, the third perp is also killed and Dredd has no choice but to arrest the whole convention for a conspiracy. Whoever <laughs> might have specifically done it, they were all gonna do it. And he remarks... They'll have to build a whole new ISO block just to hold them all. Karen suggests calling it Graceland, and Dredd just says, don't quit your day job. Like these <laughs> these quips, you know, <laughs> only he can do them. <laughs> anyway, the judges head out, but then they're called to their next job. There's been a murder at the Kylie Winogue Cultural Festival. Here we go again. <laughs> Because that's also Kylie Minogue's a pop star, and so it would be the same thing, but with people dressed up like an Australian lady, I'd assume. <laughs> but mostly just cheap shots at Kylie Minogue, who Garth Ennis is not a fan of, I feel like. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I didn't know that, but yeah. Yeah, just, you know, this is a big, can. like, 
Yeah, 93 kind of thing. Or I guess for the last couple of years, she's very much been like, uh, if you need to make a joke about like a musical act, Kylie Minogue has sort of been the go-to one, like uh, like a Coldplay nowadays. Ooh, right. Or something like that. <laughs> Still like a lot of Coldplay. I just have to do it in secret so no one knows. <laughs> you know, they're fine. It's just like, you know, they're, they're just the punching bag, you know. Right, right. <laughs> I feel, or like uh, Miley Cyrus, I feel like, mm-hmm. sort of had that time as well. Yeah. Maybe more specifically her because she's also like like a lady pop star or something. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Culture, pop culture. What are you going to do? Yeah. And speaking of these kids being up to no good, <laughs> let's go to story five. Al's baby. Scripture about John Wagner. Art about Colors of Scare. Letting robot Tom Frame. All right, Eli. Al's baby. Al and his buddies. They finish their mission to kill the, the dons of the four families, but Al's nemesis, Mutt McCluskey, has kidnapped Al Jr. Oh, and he's also Don Sarcoma's grandson, so they better get that guy back. The narration box mentions that Mutt's taken a lot of punishment and indeed sort of talks about how he seemed to have been, you know, been killed at the end of part one of our story. But don't worry about it. He's fine stuff. Um, Mutt... It um, takes the Al Jr. to a hotel room, and the narration explains that Mutt's gone pretty crazy as Al Jr. beans him in the head with just like a with, with a baby bottle. Mutt turns the TV on to the usual channel, uh, KXPN, the All Exposition channel, <laughs> where he sees that Al has already killed the mob boss that was going to pay him. And as he does, realizes that the million bucks he was promised is probably down the drain. Um, Al Jr like just drops pops open his diaper and just shits all over this entire hotel room that he's in (laughs) and al himself and it's pretty just a terrifying mess to be honest (laughs) the hitman tries to clean up but as he does junior like grabs the gun that he's got on the bed and shoots it a couple times and the lady from the front desk comes in like asks like hey what's going on here i hear strange noises but mutt just tosses just tosses her out and then ties up junior and gags him later he makes a ransom call to owl and says if you want this kid alive you'll meet me alone on alcatraz island whoa because they're in san francisco Al arrives, he makes his way through the decommissioned prison and finds Mutt and Al on a catwalk. Have you ever been to Alcatraz, Eli? I know you're from the, the Bay yeah. area. In a high school, we took a field trip. Yeah, me too. I feel like that's a pretty common common San Francisco Bay Area field trip, to be honest. Right. Um, <laughs> but so he finds Mutt and Al on a catwalk. Mutt makes Al drop his gun, strip off, reve- um, revealing that the hitman is, is covered in extra weaponry. But he makes him toss all that down, too. Stripped to his to his heart boxers, um, Mutt makes Al handcuff himself to the bars of a prison cell, and then unzips a briefcase full of terrifying weapons. He's gonna do a lot of work on Al and savor every minute of it. So Mutt's working over Al as Al Jr. cries. First, Mutt uses a bat, then this kind of brass knuckle taser combo this is the birthplace of electro nucks for my strontium dog fans um and he works over al a bit he kicks away junior but then suddenly realizes that junior is crawling over for his gun which he just left on the ground again right again you think he learned no you know yeah put that thing at waist height you know you gotta be careful (laughs) 
The kid pulls the trigger, which blows Mutt's foot off, and that's all the opening Al needs to want to lethal weapon one Mutt again. <laughs> He's not the one lethal weapon wantings. You know, you're taking someone out with your feet when you're chained to the ceiling. He ta- he takes down Mutt, but Al is still cuffed to the wall here. He tries to get Junior to give him the keys, but the kid nearly eats them instead. Luckily, when he drops him, Al's got enough foot dexterity to <laughs> snag the keys and get free. And soon they're all on the way back across the bay as Al takes a moment to send Mutt into the water. And he's all like, you know, chained up with a big rock attached to him to the, you know, sleeping with the fishes here. <laughs> Al reunites with Sal and it seems Tony went back to Chi-Town before them. Soon they're all back with the Don and the Don demands the truth. Like, Al, did you try to kill Tony when you like put blanks in his gun and a few other ways too to be honest (laughs) and in the end al admits it and tony thinks he's won like aha i got you but then the don interrupts him because you see this was all a test eli if you know because tony he's a college boy he's not really like you know a born gangster or whatever (laughs) and basically this whole thing was to see if Tony had that kind of killer instinct, but if he did, then he would have killed Al while all this was happening instead of tattletaling to the Don about this. No one likes mm. a tattletale, Eli, especially right. not an organized crime. This right. seems no obvious, snitches. you know? Yeah. 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 Literally no snitching. Mm-hmm. Come on. <laughs> um, and so he kicks Tony out. All's well that ends well. Things seem to be... Ha- Everyone's pretty happy. And Al's Jr. already made his bones. He's already a killer. That's pretty excellent. <laughs> Job well done. Maybe it's time to think about having another kid, Al. Mm. Sheesh. Yeah, I don't recommend it, personally. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem that fun, honestly. But yeah, the end for Al's baby. Mm-hmm. Al's baby will return, Eli, but we won't see it because that's good. that'll be in the pages of 2000 AD mm-hmm. in the year 1997. So a long ways away from now. Mm-hmm. I do feel bad that Don, when uh, Al and uh, the guy come back in, he's like, I was expecting one of you guys to be dead. And both <sighs> of you are alive? This freaking, does anybody do their job? I like that Al just says that, like, when when, he, when asked why you couldn't kill Tony, he's like, that guy, he just he kept getting lucky, you right. know, the, sort of the, right. the yeah. chances of fate kept him going, you know. Yeah. He's like, Al's like, I'm a professional, trust me. Like, I guarantee I made an effort. Yeah. Right. That guy just is supernatural. I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, hey. Oh, man. Come on, Eli. There we go. <laughs> Speaking of the supernatural. <laughs> Let's keep going with Story 6, Judge Hershey. Script robot Robbie Morrison, art robot Siku, letting robot Gordon Robson. So we start this story and it looks like there's a, been a massive death toll and a bunch of refugees coming into Mega City 1 from the Caribbean Isle of Bruja. And an envoy from there, Judge Green, is meeting with the Mega City 1 Council of Five, which of course includes Judge Hershey. And she makes it clear that they have the safety of the refugees as a priority. And it seems like the Bruharan definitely doesn't. And I guess, like, it definitely seems like Bruja here is supposed to be a stand-in for uh, the island of Haiti, I think. Which, you know, had a bunch of, you know, sort of had to deal with natural disasters and other things like that. Honestly, seemingly frequently of the last couple years, I feel like, even back then. Um 
And I remember this, yeah, there being it being in the news, I guess, of sort of them having difficulties. But I should also say that Bruja is like another is like a a Caribbean version of a witch, I guess, or something like that. Like maybe not actually voodoo, but like a similar sort of like folk magic kind of a uh, uh, version of that, I guess. So it's one of these things where if you know, then there's a little bit of a, sp- of a like, you know, something to look, you're, you're looking out for as these characters are introduced, I guess. That's cool. So suddenly a psychic monitor, like like just a side, a, a side division member, um, a dude has a vision. The pale man is coming and there's blood everywhere. Uh, we see then a hang glider flying over Mega City One as Judge Green gets angry about accusations of human rights abuses. And then the glider pilot shoots and only like the windows of the roof of Justice Central or something having like image distorting fields or whatever Ooh. keeps him from killing Judge Green here. All the judges hit the deck and Hershey hits the glider with an incendiary round and it goes flaming into the night. The judges give chase, and when the glider lands, Green almost executes the would-be assassin on the spot until Hershey stops him. And it seems the assassin was holding a kid the whole time. Under interrogation, Green says that the assassin is named Makut. He's a voodoo sorcerer, and he was using that kid to do evil voodoo magic. The side judge goes to scan the shooter... And it seems Green can sense that um, scanning, I guess. And then the side judge sees images of death and murderous mutilation. And Green takes off his shirt and some sort of weird blood thing starts happening. And like his skin falls away and he's actually some other dude. And now he's going to take over Judge Hershey. Oh, no. What is going on? (laughs) Uh, The side judge reports in. And it's clear that actually Green and this Makut guy reversed places, I guess. And so now the evil voodoo dude is actually Green. And Green was like, Green came trying to get asylum to reveal the human rights abuses happening in Bruja that are apparently black magic or voodoo magic based human rights abuses. The worst kind, Eli. Whereas Makut was... The left-hand man of the Bruja Justice Department, if you take my meaning, you know, using, you know, whatever, going hand in hand and using, controlling people, using dark magic and stuff. And now he's going to make, he's going to take control of Hershey and make Hershey drop all sanctions against them. Hershey's less sure about all this and shoots an incendiary around at Makot as the, uh, as the vo- um, as the side judge arrives and says, hey, we taped all that. So just so you know, like, whatever. We're aware of your voodoo machinations, you no good jerk. Seeing the game is up, Makot uh, jumps out the window and through the windscreen of a passing H-Wagon and hijacks it in a pretty cool moment. Hershey reflects that the real Green was a hero. He saved a kid and then Hershey and they just gunned him down like a common perp. Yeah, think about it. (laughs) At the Bruheron Asylum, Hershey and the side judge arrive and Makot attacks, but Hershey's quick, kicks him in the face. They have a running gunfight that eventually reveals mutilated bodies hidden in like the walls of the 
asylum center, which used to be an ISO queue. I don't know. And Makote then goes to try to take the other uh, side judge, like like mystically take him or whatever, like like uppercase T. And in the end, and there's a lot of like blood sharing here and it's whatever. In the end, Hershey has no choice but to shoot them both with high explosive. And then the massive explosion that results from this, the only survivors are her and an emaciated Buharan girl that liked to help her snap out of something earlier in the fight. The building burns, but the bodies of the voodoo priest and the side judge are missing. And this was a weird story. <laughs> yes. A lot of shoulder shrugs. A lot. Of, I, this happened, I guess. And maybe. Yeah. Like, like I feel like I've, I've put this one together a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's hard to follow and kind of figure out what's going on for sure. In the course of this one. Yeah. It's an experience. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just that the story is told very quickly and like, I don't know. Yeah, again, there's sort of – I feel like they're skipping over certain parts or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, like there's more going on here. The, the art's pretty. Uh, great use of colors, very painterly. Um, I do think they might need a little bit more work on the anatomy, but, I, you know, that's you – know, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> For sure, yeah. I, I like this artist, Seiko. I'm excited to see mo- more of his work for sure. He's one of these like newer artists that we'll definitely see doing a lot more stuff as the as time goes by. Yeah, it, it is a shame that as it looks like they were trying to go for some like statement, some type of moral, some type of power system, some sort of magic. Yeah, and all of it together, kind of. You kind of left like I don't think I understand anything at the by the end of it. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, because the the ending has this very like sort of like sad, wistful kind of feel to it. But it's just hard for me to pick up on what the exact details of what we're supposed to be seeing here are. You know, right. like then, I, I don't understand. Yeah. yeah, and then you like I don't know what to feel because I don't understand what actually happened. Right. Yeah. Hershey seems bummed for sure, but like <laughs> I'm not. I don't know if I track exactly the whys and the wherefores of that. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And speaking of of uh, confused judges, Eli. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Let's check out story seven, Devlin War. Script by John Smith, art by Sean Phillips, letting about Steve Potter. Oh man, here we go. Yeah. An unidentified vehicle goes flying into Mega City One. Air traffic control says ju- sends judges out because, like, this wasn't responding to any of their hails or anything. So send out a strip, a strip and search crew just to tear that place apart. Whoever's in that vehicle is in a heap of trouble. And we see it land. It's got Vatican markings, and indeed, the owner of the vehicle is by God, Devil and Wall. <laughs> He comes into customs with a cigarette holder and a ton of luggage, says he's here for the International Cat Breeders Show, and he's running late. But then Dread arrives, detains him, and says, I think we hit the jackpot. (laughs) Soon, Devlin's been searched, and he's just breaking all the rules. He's got an unlicensed animal, alcohol and cigarettes, illicit food, porno, 39 prohibited items in total. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Luckily, Devlin's quick to tell us he has diplomatic immunity. Mm-hmm. Ooh, he's lethal weapon toing it. So much lethal weaponing. <laughs> Dread has this checked and mentions that judges are now searching Devlin's ship as well. That angers Wa, but Dread isn't bothered and orders Wa to strip off. Again, a lot of stripping here this this episode as well, I guess. <laughs> 
The judges check out all the fancy stuff aboard Wa's ship and theorize that it was stolen. They also find a huge blood bank and radio into Dread. As we see, he's like mid-cavity search right now, honestly. Extremely naked, extremely buff. Sadly, though, the diplomatic immunity comes through and is valid, so Devlin is on his way, complete with his collection of classic European erotica on VHS, etc. Um... Devlin flashes his fangs and prepares to go, but Dredd has one final point because Devlin has diplomatic immunity, but his cat doesn't. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Even if it's here to donate sperm for the Mega City One cat breeding program, Dredd it can't go through. Dread makes an offer. Either the cat, we keep the cat in three weeks of judicial quarantine or we cat, or we neuter it. (laughs) <laughs> Devlin clutching the box, the like you know the, the carrier box for the cat said he'd rather die than hand his precious pussy cat over to the judges, and he swears fancy revenge against Dread, <laughs> but Dread isn't isn't impressed. The end. <laughs> nice. <clears throat> I'm so looking forward to the showdown between Dread and Devlin, like uh, because uh, although Devlin is kind of a. Uh, uh, uppity bougie kind of just I don't know a holeish but in a way that's like dapper like it's it's very mm-hmm. it makes you feel ways. Uh, oh yeah, well I mean that's why that's why I said it, he swore fancy revenge, right? You know, exactly. like right. that's the way that's the only way he can do it, you know. Right, uh, but he's also uh, uh, a monster when it comes to combat and physical capabilities. So it's almost like you kind of yeah. gotta let him do it because he's got. The fancy revenge. He's dotted his eyes. He has. He's. He's got the paperwork, so he can do what he yeah. wants. Uh, and he can. He could probably punch your head off just between his normal, his normal muscles, and then the fact that he's got vampire strength mm-hmm. now as right. well. You know. Yeah, but yeah, Devlin's uh, growing on me. I'm starting to like. Whenever he shows up, it's not so much the setting, but more like. How's Devlin gonna mess this up? What type of weird scenario is this gonna make? Once you add yeah, him yeah, I think that's very much it. Like Devlin, he's such kind of like like oh 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 weirdo or like just such a yeah a specific kind of person or something like that. That um, when he shows up, it's like oh man, like okay, like I'll, I'll at least check out what this guy's up to, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, it's it's helping because the the original story that I read him in, I wasn't impressed by, but now in hindsight, looking at it as like okay, we got a vampire uprising, and then you throw mm-hmm. Devlin in the mix. I'm like okay, that is interesting. Now that I know who he is, sure. Yeah, I think it's interesting too that it seems like he's he's pretty popular, but it actually it will it will be a while before we see him next. I think um, I think like it might be like not till 1997 or something or so or so that he comes back into the comic even briefly. You know, he while these days he's very De- Devlin was very much the face. Or at least one of the main faces of the Judge Dredd magazine, besides Dredd himself. I feel like he's not a super frequent character in these early days, but that mm-hmm. might ch- that that'll change as the years go by. I think. Mm-hmm. I am also worried about uh, someone else drawing him. They're not going to be able to get all the 
hyper-detailed, realistic muscles on Devlin. You know? It's true. It is very – he seems very much a Sean Phillips joint at this point. Like that's who you want drawing Devlin for – Devlin Waugh for sure. But with that, Eli, oh my gosh, we finished the stories for issues 23 to 26. And I have one question for you, which is what are your top and bottom thrills for this one? Hmm. Let's see. Uh, hmm. I really liked Mechanismo as a top. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to give an honorable mention to Devlin Wah because I thought that was really cute. Um, um, yeah, I'm really liking Mechanismo. Just, uh, I said, it's very cinematic. And so it's, that's just good old storytelling, which I love to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I, I did enjoy when I heard Devlin Wah was hitting the scene. I was like, oh, yeah, my homeboy <laughs> Devlin's going to be here. So it's how, how much I've changed from, oh, Devlin's here to, oh, Devlin's here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think very much, yeah. And I, I, I would say also just that the idea of him, who's this like sort of you know foppish chaos agent, then bumping into Judge Dredd, just uh, it feels like a natural sort of uh, oil and water kind of meetup. Mm. You know, so definitely one that like you before we don't see him for a while, it is good to see him and Dredd cross swords a little bit for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And I think, uh, but I do want to add a caveat. I do think uh, because I made uh, Al's Baby my top last time, I think I dropped him a little bit. But I was mm-hmm. really excited that Al's Baby came to an end. I thought they, they ended that in a, a nice way. Um, and I'm, uh, I hate the baby just a little bit less. Uh, I just realized, <laughs> like, for some reason, uh, just realizing that he is, he is a toddler. So it's okay mm-hmm. for him to be a monster. I'm like, okay, all right, I can. Kind of get behind this kid. Kind of. Right. A little <laughs> it's pretty bit. monstrous, though. Right. Um, but yeah, let's see. Bottom. Um, so you have Dread on your top here. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mechanismo, Mechanismo on the on top. Um, bottom. Um, well, it's that kind of thing. Heavy Metal Dread's pretty low down there. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I think I'm going to give it to... Um, uh, wait, let me get the name. Um, the the uh, bikers going through sleaze and uh, rider, yeah, yeah. sleaze and rider. Um, it's a toss up between those two. Um, uh, heavy metal is still gross and haunts my dreams, but <laughs> uh, um, I kind of know that now. I'm kind of like just accepting, like, yeah, it's little short stories. They're gross, but you know they're short, so you don't need to stay around in that world for too long. You just get take a peek in that room. You get grossed out, close the door, you leave. Season <laughs> um, Rider uh, fell a little flat. It could be because the jokes were just dated and they were just weird presidential jokes about killing mutants. Um, mm-hmm. But it kind of fell flat at the end, it being so long and then ending. I'm like, all right, sure, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, so I think I'll put, yeah, uh, I'll put Season Rider down there. Um but only because Heavy Metal Dread didn't do that neck thing like they did the, the last time. So I want to <laughs> give them encouragement. Fair. That's extremely fair. <laughs> um, I think for me, ugh, I'll definitely put Sleaze and Rider on my bottom. Like <laughs> these Heavy Metal Dreads are weird, but I like them a little bit for their weirdness, I think. <laughs> Like I'll I'll go with that. Um, and Sleaze and Rider, I find I have very little redeeming feelings about that, honestly. <laughs> um, and for my top, hmm, 
I think I might join you actually with um, with Mechanismo Returns here. I, I thought that was a fun story. Like you said, like very cinematic, a lot of big explosions and just sort of, you know, judges just barely surviving as they fought this like undefeatable enemy and stuff like that. Right. Um, so, yeah. So I think that that'll be my top spot. I'm actually surprised you didn't put uh, Asylum on the bottom. Uh, I know you were having some trouble with that one and even knowing yeah, how to feel. But like... I don't know. I like the art a little bit better for that Judge Hershey mm-hmm. story, I guess. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Like, it just, like... <laughs> <laughs> because it's so nebulous, you're like, I don't hate yeah, it. Well, I just don't like and it. And, like, yeah, we're, yeah, exactly. It was sort of like, uh, this is, there's just a lot going on here, and I don't know. As opposed mm-hmm. to Sleeves and Rioter, which is a story that, to be honest, I actually kind of actively dislike. Like, <laughs> I don't really like that story very much. Like, just the... I, I don't like the way that Ennis is writing um, Sleaze and Riot. Like the way they talk. I don't like the way Sleaze talks. It like, hey man, be cool, man. That kind of stuff. Don't want, I'm not into it. You know. Well, I'm happy to about happy to kick it. Happy to kick it to the curb here. You know? nice. <laughs> oh man. So yeah. But that is it. But that's it for thrills. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMegOne.com. Feel free to contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com. The 2000 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter pages. Or, sorry. On the 2000 forums or our Facebook or Twitter pages. For those, check out Big Meg One with one written out and you'll find us. And drop us a rating or review wherever you listen. Suggest us to a friend who's looking for a cool podcast. All that stuff, it helps us out. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends at the 2008 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network there. You can support the show and get a ton of excellent rewards. Then come back next week as we take a or next episode as we take a break from our regular um magazines and look at the judge dread mega special it's this weird flippy love hate special with sexy and violent tales respectively (laughs) then after that we'll return with the big relaunch of the magazine with all new thrills including big stories for anderson and hershey a terrifying dread tale and the premiere of two new stories, Hark and Burr and Missionary Man, which I'm extremely excited about. Mm, Sounds provocative. Yeah, should be good. And until then, I'm Conrad, there you lie, and we are Big Mac One. Drunkers!